This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. Good afternoon, I'm Anthony Weiner, and thank you for meeting me in the middle, an hour every Saturday at 2, when we take some steps away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right, and try to bring some context to the news of the week, or maybe a subject that doesn't find its way into the middle of the conversation enough. Every week between 2 and 3, and then right after this at 3 o'clock, Curtis Lewa comes in for left versus right. He and I have a lot to talk about this week, a lot going on in New York politics, a lot going on in the adventures of Kathy Hochul and Lee Zeldin. You can always listen to us on WWCRadio.com. You can download the app. A couple of podcasts of mine dropped this week because of a little glitch we had with our podcast service two this week, episode seven and eight and one, where I talk about the idea of eliminating some alternate side parking in the city, and then one that just dropped on Thursday about eliminating childhood hunger in New York. We'd love to have you be part of the conversation this week. A lot went on this week. 800-848-WABC. 800-848-9222. You can reach me on at Rep Wiener at Twitter and Wiener, W-A-B-C at Gmail. Uh, we have Rich on the board and Pete kind of holding down the fort this week. And it's really great to have you along. This was a great week, a really fun week for me, fun week for the family. For those of you who were wondering after last week whether my my friend Peter's car still smells, the answer is no. But uh, he finally texted me in the middle of the week and said the smell is gone I want to thank John, who emailed me with some solutions that he had found. Uh, great week. We had the Subway Series this week. Not a good week for New York Mets fans. Jordan and I were there on Tuesday. A um, little disappointed. No DeGrom. And they announced it was the biggest crowd since 2013. But it was part. It, I don't care how good your Tuesday was. It was not as good as Jordan's was. My son Jordan, 10-and-a-half-year-old young man. Uh, love him dearly. It started the day when he gets in the mail a new hockey stick from his uncle Kevin. We wasn't expecting it. You know, here's the thing about kids who play hockey. There's almost an infinite list of stuff you can get them. And he was surprised with a brand new hockey stick. The season starting soon. He was over the moon. There's the ritual of taping the stick and waxing the blade and putting on a butt end you like and everything else. And so he's been walking around the house swatting at things. And that's how his day started. And it ended with uh, him and me joining my brother Jason, his wife and daughter, and his brother-in-law and his son going to the Yankee game, uh, going to a game at Yankee Stadium. It's been so long since I've been to Yankee Stadium that I told my brother Jason, I will meet you at the bat. And for those of you who don't know, the bat is no longer right outside the stadium or got moved or something. Anyway, um, a great crowd. We were up in the 400 sections. So we were up there in the real seats when I was a member of Congress in a fancy pants. I'd call up the front office and say, get me some tickets. And they would, you always have to pay for them. That's one thing a lot of people in the public don't realize. If when you're an elected official, you have to pay for the tickets and they have to charge you for them. But still, you get nice tickets, lots of suits and everything else. But this was real fans. <clears throat> a little bit chippy up there. You know, I was wearing my orange New York Mets hat. I didn't want to have any old New York Mets hat. So I had one, I think, from the 2005 season that is orange. And I got a little heckling, a little wiener heckling, some chants that shook Jordan up a little bit. As I mentioned in a previous episode of The Middle, he's starting to understand what it means to be named wiener. He got razzed a little bit about it at camp. And, I, you know, he also goes to this private school where they're very emo and they can probably consider it bullying to make fun of your name. And so he hasn't heard it much. So he was a little taken by the the drunk guys chanting my name. And But he seemed to understand. And I used it as a teachable moment. You know, so you get thick skin and being known is better than not known. 
So that's how his day finished. Um, and it was an exciting game. The Yankees won. Don't, it's fine. It's fine. Whatever. We didn't even have our best pitcher on the mound. We chose to hold him off for the important Colorado series. Don't ask me why. But it's what happened in the middle of the day that I quite, I don't know how to explain it. Jordan comes into me and he says, Dad, I want to go to a pizzeria in Hamilton Square, New Jersey for lunch. And I'm like, we have, you can't shake a dead cat in New York without eating a pizzeria. Why would you possibly want to go there? And he explained that his, one of his heroes on TikTok, which is this service that you post very short videos, and it's less than three minutes, and people do different things. Sometimes people do everything from selling products to sometimes they have little life hacks, sometimes they dance, sometimes they sing. In the case that he wanted, he is, this guy he wanted to see was a guy named Sally Slices. And he works at a pizzeria. And obviously before I was going to do this, I went online and I looked. I don't have TikTok, but I went online and I looked with Sally Slice. And he's a nice guy. He's this guy who makes pizza. And he says inspirational things every once in a while. And his go-to line, I know it's almost farce, but his go-to line is, do you want a corner or do you want a side? Because they make, I don't know what kind of pizza that is, the kind that they have at LMB Smimoni Gardens. It, it's... Not Sicilian, it's it's got a little crusty. I don't know what which I guess it's Sicilian. Anyway, so he says, Dad, please, and I and I look it up on online, it's an hour and a half drive. I go down there, nicest guy in the world. His dad recognizes me. Well, I think he recognized me because he says, Oh my god, it's the governor. Now, I that could mean Spitzer that left in in disgrace. That could mean McGreevy who left in disgrace. And it could have been, he just didn't, so I said, no, it's actually, I'm Anthony Weiner. He was very excited to see me. I had a great conversation with the dad. And we have this pizza. The pizza was excellent. Sally Slice is the nicest guy in the world. Jordan was shaking. He was so excited to meet this this guy who makes these TikTok videos. And as we're about to leave, this guy, Sally Slices, says, hey, Jordan, do you want to be in a video, be in a TikTok? And obviously, Jordan is excited. So they make this little video. And as of this morning, it's been viewed by 1.3 million people. 1.3 million people. Now, I don't know quite how to explain this to someone who doesn't have, who doesn't know what TikTok is, but all right, maybe the best way to do this is, Rich, let's just play the TikTok, because you don't really have to see it to get the idea. What's up, buddy? Where are you from? New York City. What's your name? Jordan. Jordan, what do you like to do in your free time, man? Ice hockey. Ice hockey. What position do you play? I play forward. Are you any good? Um, I'm pretty mid. <laughs> what do you have in your hands there, man? The best pizza in the world. Best pizza. How is it, buddy? Best ever. Best ever. My man, thank you. Have a good day. Say ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. ciao, ciao. Okay, so that's Jordan. And that, you that, now, he the guy has a following, but this is, a, it actually, he most videos of his don't get 1.3 million. Now, by the way, just a couple of things. Just to paint the picture, they're standing in a pizzeria. I mean, Jordan is cute. It's, it's undeniably cute. Sally Slice is a very nice guy. You can see what it's like. The vibe is not like anything. It's just friendly pizzeria maker. But the one thing I want to point out, in case you didn't hear it, he was asked, are you good at hockey? And he says, I'm pretty mid, which is apparently what the kids say when they're, ah, mensa, mensa, they're, I'm okay. Um, and the comments, I, you know, are being, are, you know, I don't, again, I'm not in TikTok, so every once in a while someone will say, have you seen this? And they all, so Jordan has now completely blown up more than I've ever gotten, more than Curtis has ever gotten. I mean, he is a legitimate star. And the thing that's amazing about Jordan is, first of all, given my history, maybe this is a little performance he's putting on for me, given my history with social media, he is super cool. He doesn't talk about it. He doesn't make a big deal about it. He's not scrolling through, looking every five minutes. He hasn't even posted it on his own site, but he was just over the, he gets back in the car after, and he is shaking because he's so excited to meet his hero. And so that brings us to the the part of the show that we call the numbers of the week. Um, and the number one is the number, well, let's make it one billion. That's how many monthly users that uh, TikTok has. And now Instagram has got something like it that they call Reels. Now all of their users, 25% of the time their users are on there. They're doing, they're also looking at these little short videos. By the way, Sally Slices, I want to, he, he can be found at Marcello's Pizzeria in Hamilton Square, New Jersey. Excellent pizza. His dad is a real mensch. 
He, Sally is a real nice guy. Sally slices is what things. Um, another number to give you an idea how big this phenomenon is with these short form videos. 1.5 watchers of YouTube shorts every month. 30 billion individual of these um, little videos that people are watching every month on YouTube. And a recently an analyst called it digital crack because it's so much of it is getting consumed. But I'll tell you how influential it is. I mean, if you haven't if you haven't seen it, 14 percent of all commerce going on in the Internet right now is on TikTok. Isn't that crazy? I mean, they're like now, you know, approaching, you know, Amazon levels. So that's an interesting thing that happened happened this week. Um, and uh, let me go to one other number of the week. And uh, that is three hundred and thirty. Three hundred and thirty dollars a year. That was the tuition at the University of Louisville in 1964, the year I was born and the year Mitch McConnell graduated. And in inflation adjusted dollars, that's two. That's twenty five hundred dollars. And that um, so and, and by the way, so okay, just and so today it's twelve thousand dollars. So if you take adjusted dollars, it was twenty five hundred then, twelve thousand today, a three hundred and eighty percent increase. So that's where I want to start with our conversation about student loan and student debt. Um, there was a lot of conversation about it on Steve Moore's program just before me. A lot of people have been talking about it. And um and then a little later in the episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about what's going on with the GOP in general and how they've had kind of a rough month of, of a, a, a rough summer. But let me just say this. I am really conflicted about this. When I first came to this issue, I had real concerns that debt relief for for college loans made a lot of sense. Uh, for one, I'm, I'm concerned about it being inflationary. If you're not, you know, debt, that, that kind of debt, money that goes to an institution means less money that's getting put into the economy per se. Having less debt means more spending, not good for inflation. Secondly, I am I am concerned about the idea that the president was able to do this without going back to Congress. His explanation is that the authority given him in the COVID Relief Act to do what is necessary to grant relief, he says that that's the reason this might be the subject of lawsuits. We'll wait. We'll find out. I have some concern about that. I believe Congress should have more of a say on this, even though they were, you know difficult getting anything passed through Congress. And third, I'm just concerned that schools are exploitive and and they're not as good and they're investing in the wrong types of things and driving up costs and and they're the bad guys and that they are not getting they're not getting harmed at all by this if anything they might use this as an opportunity to raise their to raise their their tuition but the conversation that I don't like and get you can get in on it if you like 800-848-WABC 800-848-9222 is when people from my generation and I am at the very tail end of the boomer generation. I was born in 1964, as I just mentioned. Talk about this and how outrageous it is when things were so much less expensive tuition-wise when we were going to school. I mean, Kevin McCarthy. I'm just going to pick some of the Republicans who were being re- who were loudest about this. Kevin McCarthy, he went to Cal State Bakersfield in 1989 when the tuition was $800 a year. Okay. So if you adjust it for today's dollars, it's now $7,500, a 400% increase in today's dollars. And he calls it a debt transfer scam. Um, University of Northern Iowa, where a guy named Chuck Grassley, a senator who's actually in, I'll call him the silent generation, or the greatest generation. He paid tuition at the University of Northern Iowa in 1955, $159. Um, when you adjust everything for inflation, Today, it's $8,300, a 500% increase after adjustment for inflation, meaning I'm adjusting their dollars, a 500% increase. And so why is it so much more expensive? Is because since we, the boomer generation, went to college, we've done a couple of things. One, we slashed funding for state schools. Colorado, 70% cut of, of tax dollars going into colleges. South Carolina, 66% cut. Arizona, 62% cut. We cut the amount of money that we were putting in as part of what the gov- what the state would do. So we're taking out state dollars and we're asking people to pay more. That's one of the reasons why it's why it's gone up so much. Um, another reason it's gone up so much is because colleges, as I mentioned earlier, are investing in new dorms and new gyms and new swimming pools. And why are they doing that? They're doing that because there's a lot more people competing to, to for uh, uh, they're a lot. Uh, they're competing for a lot more people 
who are going into college. So what do they have to do? They drive up their expenses in the way they do. And let me just summarize this for you. In 1987, when I went to college, a student at the University of Kansas could pay her tuition with a part-time minimum wage job and still have some money left over for books. In 2016, when you compare the same numbers at the same place, a person working a full-time minimum wage job would come up $38,000 short. Okay? Now, that's just one university, just one study. So to say, oh, my God, this is outrageous, If I just want to caution my, my colleagues, my friends, my people who are my age, that things are very, very, very much different from the days that my dad went to school for free, both on the GI Bill and because he went to City College, I went to Brooklyn College, which was free at the time. And I'll say something else. I mean, for the, the baby boomers, when college costs, when we went to school, 3% of the median national salary. Today, it's 20% of the median national salary. The median home price when we were coming up, um, when, when we were in school, $17,000. Now it's $363,000. The top tax rate? was 70% when we came up, now it's 37%. So what these are just ways of saying that the government, things are different is what is is what I'm saying. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you a couple of other things. I'm going to tell, I mean, a couple of other arguments. As I've said, there are arguments against this I believe in, that it's inflationary, the president doesn't have the authority to do this unilaterally, and that these schools, they really suck and they're the ones we do. But the argument of older people like me, who had much lower costs, is pretty weak. And there's two other arguments that I don't like, that I want to hear you take. One, that this is buying votes. And two, that we don't do bailouts in this country. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. So great to have you along on the middle. We'll see you on the other side. I remember Christmas in the bush doing cold in the church on the Upper West Side. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. And welcome back to the middle. Every Saturday from 2 to 3, we try to come up with some places we can agree in the middle of things. This one, this week is an interesting issue, student debt. Coming back in, that was Save Ferris. We had a lot of really nice feedback on the ska we had last week when we had Bad Manners. So we're going to be featuring Save Ferris. I guess they're kind of what the ska revival band. I don't even know what to call them because it's a little bit of punk, a little bit of pop. But it's great to have you along. Coming up at 3, Curtis Slew and I will be on at Left left versus Right to talk about this migrant crisis and how it's affecting New York. And also, uh, Curtis has some big thought ideas, the kind that the kind that we like. We're talking about student debt. If you'd like to be in on the conversation, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222, just to reset the table. I do have concerns about it. I do. But there are some concerns that I'm hearing out there that I think hold less water than others. I've talked a little bit about the idea that costs as a percentage of our income and the support that we used to get, colleges used to get from um, from from taxpayer dollars, which doesn't exist anymore. I, I think that's a tough argument to be making. And I think it's, um, I mean, we all the time um, have, uh, you know, I mean, tuitions doubled from the early 90s to the, to the early two, to 2020s. Um, and that Generation X, the people born between 65 and 80, have $45,000 per borrower. It's just a lot different circumstance than we experience. So that when people, when people my age, and by the way, when you call in, I'm going to ask you what generation you're from. I can ask you what your age is, just so people can have a perspective on this. But there are a couple of other elements of this debate that I find I don't really buy. You know, one is, and I heard Steve Moore say this, you're buying votes. No, what Joe Biden is doing is what he said he would do when he got elected. This is the way politics works. He makes a campaign promise. People decide if they like those promises. And the guy that wins gets to do his stuff he said that he was going to do. When, when Donald Trump passed the largest or one of the largest tax cuts in history that was completely unpaid for, and it gave a million dollars a year tax relief to billionaires, he kind of said he was going to do that. 
I mean, I didn't like it, and I was opposed to it, but that's what he said they were going to do. I mean, we, all the time we have, I mean, we saw what happened with the Supreme Court. Guy makes a promise, he does it, and then that's the way politics works. Now, you don't like it, you can throw the bum out, but he's not buying votes. He's doing what he said that he would do. Now, it is true. It's something his base likes, his younger base likes more, communities of color like it more, whatever. But, I'm, I mean, it's buying votes is a bit a bit uh, overly hot. And the final thing, as I've heard people say, is, you know, this is a bailout. I can't believe you're bailing these people out. Hey, my friends, we do bailouts all the time. If you are a banker after the great uh, the great collapse in 2008, you got the world's biggest bailout imaginable and and you are not innocent as you you got a bill if you were an if you were in agriculture when donald trump put all of those tariffs in you just got a check in the mail to bail you out because of a government policy and i would say to my friends in the new york area be careful how you use that language because it can be used for a lot of things when people when we say we need help you know securing our you know help for mass transit well, other communities that don't have mass transit can say, well, why are we bailing them out? I don't use mass transit. Or when people say, hey, after Hurricane Sandy, and by the way, we heard this over and over and over again. Why are we bailing out these people that live close to the water? Hey, you know, the Rockaways are a populated barrier island. You know, like it's say like our whole city is basically near the water. But when we hear bailout, that just usually means someone else is getting the benefits. And that happens all the time. All the time there are things in the federal budget and policies that are made that don't affect you directly. I mean, Texas just passed the law, $10,000 bounty if you turn in someone that helps someone else get an abortion. I mean, we do these types of things all the time. I don't think it's a particularly persuasive argument. So, oh, it's a bailout, it's a bailout, it's a bailout. Now, I do believe there is concern that I would have about what's called moral hazard, that people believe they can borrow more because it's going to get relieved in the future. I, there's a risk of that. And I think that is not in, that's an argument that I can get my, my mind. But it didn't stop us from bailing out the banks. Too big to fail. Hey, let's bail them out. It didn't stop the, you know, uh, it didn't stop all kinds of other instances when we have provided help for one community and for not another. So, that's my take, that there are some arguments that I can sink my teeth into, but generationally, we have our generation, my generation, did a whole bunch of policies that made it more expensive for this generation to go to college. So for us to now stand up and say, oh, this is outrageous, they're not paying our bills, I paid all of my bills, yeah, our bills were much smaller. That's the bottom line. Our bills were much smaller. Um, when, when, when my parents took out a student loan on my behalf, it was a much lower now. The interest rates were lower, but it was a much smaller number to go to a state school. I mean, that was I was I was limited to my parents said you can go to any college you want so long as it's a city or state school. And I went to the State University of Plattsburgh, all the way upstate New York. Anyway, so that's where we're up to. Let's take some calls on this. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. And what I'd like you to do is when you get on, if you want to talk about this issue, I'd like you to share with the audience what generation you're in. I don't need to know your age, but just so we can get an idea whether I'm right that there is a difference in generation how people look at this. First, let's go to Chris and Beth Page. Chris, thanks for joining us on The Middle today. Hey, Anthony, and I'm a baby boomer, pretty much similar age to you. Great. Um, and I went to Holy Cross up in Massachusetts. Great school. And I think uh, in 1981 the tuition was about 2700 no, sorry, about $9,200 a year. So I paid $36,000 for four years, okay, at a really good school, like Holy Cross. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, you just hit upon something, the last thing that you said. I have two children. Now, one is currently going to school as an engineer, studying engineering at the University of Buffalo. I had a choice. I was surrounded by a bunch of friends who sent their kids to Syracuse, to all these private schools, Fordham, $72,000 a year. Me and my wife looked at each other. We said, you know what? We pay enough in state taxes. We have unbelievable universities in this state. We are not going to fall into that trap. We are making a, a conscious choice to send our son to a very good school. Thankfully, he got into Buffalo. He's studying engineering. And we're paying, you know, I'll tell you, I'll, this is advertisement. Uh, we're paying, I just sent in the bill, um, $5,400 for a semester. So about $10,000, it comes out a year in tuition. 
and he found housing with a friend. All in all, we figure for four years it's going to cost about $65,000, four years all said and done. No student loans. We're paying it all ourselves. That's it. My point is we did, I think, the responsible thing. What bothers me now is with this with this bailout or whatever you want to call it, which Biden's doing, is I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. I could have maybe sent them to another school or, you know, maybe a private school taking out a student loan. I make under 125000 a year, so we would have qualified. So in a way, I think people like me feel a little uh, upset about this because we made the conscious decision to send our son to a good state school and to try to save money and to not take out costly loans. I, I hear you, I, and I and I have and I have a lot of respect and empathy for the way that you're looking at this. But I think that one of the challenges that we have here, Chris, is that there are a lot of people who are in circumstances that are not yours. And the question is, well, do we help try to improve those people's lives? Some we it seems like there's that people who are more than happy to give a giant tax cut to a hedge fund guy for carried interest, for example, in the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Say, well, I don't want to help that other guy. Look, this helps out a lot of middle class people who um, who who did take out loans. A lot of them people of lower income, and the costs are much higher. But that's not to say, I mean, it, this notion of fairness is is a complicated one because there are policies that we have done in co- in government that have made things more expensive for people, and this is just a way to help them out some, to help the middle class, to those people struggling to make it into the middle class. And I get it. Yeah, that, you know, Chris is an example of someone who made a lot of decisions that were different, and maybe he wishes he didn't because now he would get a $10,000 debt relief. I, I don't look at it that way. I, I look at trying to help people in, in this situation, but I, I understand why people might, might think otherwise. Um, next, we have Bob at Lake, Lake Hopatka. Say it for me, Bob. Hopatka. Hopatka. Oh, thank you. Thank you for joining us. What, what do you have to say about this, Bob? Well, I'm just curious if you can enlighten me a little bit on all this college endowment money. What do they do with that? It's a great you question. Know, I put five kids through college. My wife and I didn't make a lot of money. I had to go a whole year and a half, almost two years, without medical benefits, which I was then fined for not having. And, you know, we did it. I had to take a home equity line of credit. Can I tell them that my mortgage now identifies as a student loan and they'll pay that some of that off for me? You know, it's, it just drives me crazy. There's so much government waste. I agree with what you're saying. There was a hundred different kinds of bailouts, and they shouldn't happen. People have to learn fiscal responsibility. And when you turn around and just start handing people money after they sign on that dotted line, it's going to give them, like you said, you touched on the moral issue, it's going to give them a thought that, hey, you know, I can just kind of skate through things the rest of my life, and somebody will bail me out, that key word you were saying. These bailouts, I think, whether it's a bank or the college loans or the transit, like you said, none of it's right that they should just turn around and keep handing money out. I think they got to get a handle on their expenses. There's so much government waste, and we all know it, that what, how do we change this? Well, And back to my original point, what about college endowment money? Some of these colleges have hundreds of millions of dollars. Why don't they share in the responsibility to help these kids out? Well, I think that's – I think, Bob, I think you've got a, a, a great point, and I thank you for calling. I mean, look, part of the challenge is – first of all, this whole notion of endowment, my understanding of it is that's kind of a Gold Coast kind of thing. You know, the top 10, 15 percent of colleges have those, and most of the colleges, a lot of the, the, our listeners send their kids to don't have that, that benefit. But, you know, you say – I mean, look, this is the market – unfortunately working as it relates to colleges. When you take away the state support, meaning the taxpayer support, when you say go out, fend for yourself, when you create a system that for those of you who have not been in in this market for a while, they now have a system that allows people to effortlessly apply to many, many more colleges. It used to be a real effort and expensive to apply to. Then, Then you have colleges who are competing not only to say yes to the person, but also to make sure that they come because they're trying to meet their bottom line. And how are they competing? They're building junk. They're building swimming, as I said, swimming pools. They're competing who has the best food. They're making fancier dorms, and they're racking up a lot of expenses, and they're passing along those expenses to the kids who do go there. You say, what's the solution? I believe that there should be 
some solutions, but they, they're in the neighborhood of government controlling a, a private entities and nonprofit entities, and that's what most schools are, nonprofits, theoretically. But I think, I think it is a problem, and I do. that's a part of this argument that I do have problems with. And, and when we come back, we're going to hear from some more callers who also seem to have, you know, the board is mostly with people, uh, it's a, I mean, a little bit of a mix, mostly with people who, who are really concerned about this. 800-848-WABC. And we're also going to go over some of the lessons that we learned. The, gov- the GOP had a really rough summer, and I'm going to give them some ideas on how they turned around. Thank you for being here in the middle. We'll see you on the other side. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. And welcome back to The Middle every Saturday from 2 to 3, right before Curtis and I, Curtis Leo and I do Left versus Right. We have a lot to talk about in that. going to talk a little bit uh, about the uh, bad summer for the Republicans. We take a couple more calls about student loan debt. I mean, I, I am conflicted. I don't – I mean, I, I, I think there are good arguments. I think there are bad arguments, and I focus on a, a couple of each. But let's go back to the phones for a couple of quickies. Uh, Anthony on Long Island. Anthony, thanks so much for joining The Middle. How you doing? Uh, I wanted to know. I went to the uh, School of Life, called the School of Hard Knocks, <laughs> and yeah. I lost hundreds of thousands of dollars to get my businesses growing. I learned a lot of stuff during that time that no education Harvard could ever give. Uh, should I be felt bad, or uh, should I just listen to the mummy when he says that I'm an evil person because I own a business, and now he's going to hire 86,000 communists in order to come and uh, raid my businesses and go through my stuff? and take everything I have so that he can give it back to all the people who uh, went and took lesbian dance studies and want their bills paid. Yes, exactly. I think, Anthony, you're, yes, the 86,000 communists, hold, I, hold on, 86,000 communist dance study students are going to come come get you. No, I, I congratulate you on, on, on what you've done to build your business. You are you're a patriot for doing so. Uh, Mario in Atlantic Islands. Go ahead, Mario. Yeah, Anthony, uh, you mentioned before that uh, that Trump uh, gave us the largest tax cut and uh, didn't pay for it. But didn't we have a booming economy after he did that, back as far as uh, uh, Reagan days? Mm, it was all right. It wasn't as good as Obama, but it was it was it was okay. Well, Obama had a good economy only because of the 2008 bank debacle. Wait, well, well, Obama had a good economy? <laughs> whoa, whoa, okay. I mean, uh, look, it, I, I don't want to relitigate that. The point I was making with that is that was a big giveaway to a, very, to a relatively small number of Americans who didn't really need it. So when people say, oh, I'm outraged that Biden is giving a program for his supporters – that's the way politics works. I was actually defending. I mean, I wasn't. I thought it was a bad policy. But the reason that that um, President Trump was able to do it is he got elected, promising to do it, and Joe Biden got elected, promising to do this. So if you didn't vote for him, but that's one thing. But don't be so surprised that he's doing. That's the way politics is supposed to work, isn't it? That a politician makes a promise on the campaign trail, says, "Vote for me, and I'm going to do this," and then they go and do it. So Joe Biden said he was going to do this. And he went ahead and um, and and did it. 
Uh, Rod in St. Louis. Is that St. Louis, Missouri, Rod? Yes, it is. Welcome aboard. Okay. Anthony, there's two things. First, uh, I'm, a, I'm a baby booner. I, I'm at the, at the beginning of it. I was born in 46. I have four children. They're all in their 40s now. I paid off myself as a parent $100,000 of student loans. That's just in principle. Wow. It doesn't call the interest. My kids had student loans of their part. They paid them off. There's a matter of justice here that to tell somebody that now you don't have to maintain your obligations and your responsibility, that's wrong. And then to go back, what caused this whole mess? When Obama started Obamacare, he took a hundred. Or he took a billion dollars out of the student loans. First, he took the student loans program away from the banks that we had low interest rates, and I was a banker, so I know. And then he said we'd pay back the billion dollars to the student loan program. They didn't. When we were doing it, loan rates were right around uh, the prime or less, and now they're you know a student loan is ten percent. And the government has administered very poorly. Our, when banks did it, the delinquency rate on student loans was way less than credit cards, which is less than 2%. And when the government took it over, they skyrocketed. Well, let me, so, but, but let me say a couple of things. One, the reason we took the banks out of it is that we didn't see any reason to, to pay banks to basically process loans that the government was guaranteeing anyway. But I, I, here's this whole fairness thing really gets me hung up. What about all the people that took out PPP loans during COVID? What about all the congressmen that took those loans out? And then we, we, we said that we're going to forgive those debts. I mean, we forgive, but what about all of the, the burdens that were, that the banks had taken on as part of, of its extension of, of credit that we waived? We've, we gave banks a whole bunch of money for zero and, and we bailed them out after 2008. It's not like there, these, this this outrage that I see over people having their debt relieved. Remember, the argument that I made at the beginning is that the debt was too large because of something government did. So they had too much of a burden, and we're saying we're going to reduce that burden by $10,000 as an acknowledgement that we haven't done enough. Now, I think you're right. I think there are ways that maybe the program can be administered better. Maybe there are prog- ways that we can get universities to keep their costs lower. But for the people who have these loans... They're too high in comparison to what you and I were paying. We had much less debt and got the same product. That's just not fair. It was what the argument is. That's the part that's not fair. And that's why we're taking this extraordinary step. I mean, I get it. It's like it's like I did something and I got this outcome. Why don't you know this generation? This type of one generation helping out another generation goes on. It's one of the things that we do. We do it in Social Security as an example. Social Security beneficiaries today are getting back from Social Security much, much more than they put in. Right? I mean, that's a fact. We're paying, you know, we had something like eight workers for every beneficiary. Now we have two workers, and so workers are putting in more. But we're going to do that generational exchange next generation also. And we're going to be there for our seniors in 20 and 30 years, and then I'm going to benefit. I'm getting, I'm getting closer than you might imagine. So we do these types of generational fixes all the time. And, yes, this is a, a, a disproportionately something that younger students, younger borrowers have. And it's going to make their lives easier. It's going to be, I think, ultimately good for the economy, for them to be putting their money into something else. We told them that part of the American dream was going to college, and then we made it really, really expensive for them, said go get a loan, and we charged them an enormous amount of money despite the loan. And now we're saying we're going to cut you a little break. I mean, why why don't we feel this uh, this sense we're Americans here, there are going to be a lot, a lot of time. 20 million Americans are going to benefit of it. Yes, we're 350 Ameri- 351 million of us, and only 20 million or 30 million are going to benefit from this. Yes, that's a fact. That's right. Not everyone is going to benefit from this. But we do things that benefit the top tiny 1% all the time. We just did, even in, 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 in the, the Biden bill on inflation, we let people – Hedge fund operators who do carried interest pay less on the money they earn than you and I earn. And they're billionaires, literally billionaires. And why we don't, that's, yes, sometimes we do stuff, but at least now we're doing it for the middle class, people struggling to make it in the middle class, young people who are starting out their lives burdened with debt. 
I, I, I think that there is a fairness argument to be made that the fair thing to do for these people is to give them is to give them some help. I mean, I, that's that's what I think. Um, okay, let's go to uh, to Anne in the Bronx. Anne, thank you for holding on. Hi, um, I am 84 years old. Uh, I live near Yankee Stadium in the Bronx, and um, uh, I had a National Defense Education Act loan. I was a single mother, sole support of my daughter, and <clears throat> my husband was literally a clown, and <laughs> it was like uh, a surprise pregnancy, uh, and uh, I was divorced from him, but um uh, I went back to school at Southwest Missouri State University uh, from uh, 70 to 72, got my undergrad in, in speech pathology. And then I I went to uh, later on to Southern Illinois University in Edwardsville, and I got my master's in theater performance. And then I came to New York. I worked for 13 years. As a substitute teacher, I am so grateful for that. I was in all the worst schools in New York City, in high schools, wow. and, and I love those kids. Uh, but anyway, uh, I, I am just so grateful because on the NDSL loan, if you taught for so many years, you did not have to pay for your education. Well, that's a, that is that is a great story, and I don't want to get bogged down on the subject. You said your your ex husband was literally a clown. The kids all say literally today yeah. when they don't mean it, but do you mean literally a clown? Yeah, he really was a clown. He's very talented, very talented. Did you, in your divorce proceedings, say, Your Honor, this guy is a clown? No, you didn't need to. And I appreciate that. Look, it is and in your generation. Look, my dad. I think this is right. My dad went to law school on the GI Bill and I think paid no tuition because he went to Brooklyn College. And thank you so much for calling in. Um, I there there. I mean, I I think that generally generationally my generation got a lot of benefits and then slammed the door on the generations that came behind. Started slashing these budgets, started reducing the programs, turning it more over to the private sector and saying, you guys handle it. Treat it like a loan, like anything else. At the same time. We were saying to people that you, the way you adapt and survive and achieve the American dream in this country is by going to college. So people were taking out the taking out these loans, and they're just burdened with an enormous amount of debt. And the amount of debt, you know, has gone up just as the as the cost has gone up in adjusted dollars. And by the way, when I say that, it's when you take the same number the dollars you add the inflation rate, so you can compare apples to apples in adjusted dollars from today, meaning two thousand twenty two dollars. The average cost of a public higher education was about $10,000 in 1975 and is $22,700 today. That's an adjusted cost. So so in, in, in other words, the ability you needed to go out and find and, and figure out a way to earn to a part-time job or something else, $10,000, to be able to make a go of it in today. And by the way, the, the, the minimum wage hasn't gone up that much. I mean, so we, we haven't done anything to kind of to kind of keep up. So, I mean – Look, I think that I've made the, the the fairness argument. People can um, can can say that I that I haven't. Uh, let's do one more call before we go to a break. Dave at Bergen County, go ahead, Dave. Yes, how are you doing? I'm enjoying your show. Thank you. Um, I'm a boomer, and what I did was I saved money from the day my kids were born to support them to go to Tulane University, and they also went to law school. And I actually paid for most of it. They took out small minor loans. But I honestly believe the more you subsidize an activity, the um, colleges will raise tuition to compensate for how much yeah. you're subsidizing. Yes. This is, of all the arguments, this is the one that it has not only an inflationary effect, and I really appreciate your call, Dave, that not only does it have an inflationary effect in the economy as a whole, which is something we're trying to fight against right now, but it has – um, it, it basically it, it's just the same problem with vouchers, to be honest, that if you give someone a voucher for, say, $5,000, all that's going to mean is the private school is going to raise their costs, $5,000, because there's this new money out there. That's a legitimate beef. Uh, I think that's a legitimate concern. And I do think that it, that anything that, that when we do this, like the next thing that we should do is some kind of cost containment around what, how, what the universities are um, are charging for what is basically the same thing that we used to get when I was in college. 
So when we get back, I'm going to do some final thoughts about the, the Republican summer that we've had. And then coming up at the top of the hour, hope you stick around. Curtis Lee and I, left versus right. We are on 77 WABC, the most powerful radio station on the East Coast. It's so great to have you along on the middle. See you when we get back. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. And welcome back to The Middle. Save Ferris bringing us back in. Every Saturday from 2 to 3, we've been talking about some uh, the issue of student debt. I want to talk briefly for the last couple of minutes about kind of this really, really bad summer that the Republican Party has had. If you go back and listen to some of the tapes of me and Curtis or me and, and John Katsimatidis or just on my show back in May and February and March and just talk about the, the problems that my party had had and how difficult it's going to be to not get completely swamped in a red wave – Let's look what happened this summer. First, we had that Kansas abortion vote in a very conservative state. Democrats turned out in mass and pushed back against the idea of a constitutional amendment in that state banning abortion. The Inflation Reduction Act, you know, basically suddenly out of nowhere, um, a big bill that, 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 that goes into place that deals with the economy, deals with the environment, and generally, you know, uh, reduces the cost of, med- of, of health care. Then there's the PACT Act, which is, you know, basically veterans were told to take a hike by the Republican Party for reasons that are still mystifying. They eventually changed their mind, but it was a a, a big victory for veterans, and it made I mean, it made Republicans look, look in Congress look pretty bad. We've had primaries that have chosen nominees for the Senate to try to win back the Senate, and the Republican have nominees, Herschel Walker, Mehmet Oz, Vance in Ohio, Masters in Arizona, have been just train wrecks, and and have been just making all kinds of mistakes and making it much making it difficult for themselves in these swing states. McConnell, the 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 head of the Republican Party in the Senate, is fighting with the head of the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. This guy Scott from Florida. They can't figure out. They're pulling money out of races they should be in. Um, gas prices, as you heard at the top of the hour, are down. Number the job numbers are pretty good. And then last week, in the last set of primaries. In New York 19, this Democrat Pat Ryan in a in a in a basically a toss up district where if there's going to be a red wave, you would see it there, um, ran a race all about choice, just leaned into it really hard. And, um, you know, the the beat is his opponent, um, this guy, uh, Mark Molinaro, um, who. In in a race that should that he was running the race that you would think would be the successful one. He was, you know, Biden, inflation, gas prices, and in what should have been a toss up race. Mean in a sweep year like this should have been a big year for Democrat for for Republicans, and it hasn't been. And so, I guess what I I think that it's pretty clear that the Republican Party, and I'm you know I'm a Democrat, a partisan Democrat, but I think that if I was going to give advice to the Republicans here is they've got to get out of kind of primary mode where they're just talking all about kind of the, the, the culture warrior kind of things that they, that some of their candidates think that they need to talk about in order to win the base of the party and start to realize that independent voters, women in particular are looking for something very, very different they want to kind of understand what the democracy is not at stake. They want to understand that someone's fighting for their individual rights. They want to see stuff getting done. See, we talked for the last hour about the about debt relief. It's Biden doing something he said he would do. The inflation, the uh, the, the anti-inflationist things he said he would do. They're getting them. They're getting them done. And when you're just relying upon a message of Biden stinks. Well, he doesn't stick as much. His poll numbers are now better than the five of the last the ten or so presidents at you know at the midterm. He's better than Obama was in his second term. Better than than um, Trump was in 2018. So he's he's getting better. 
gas prices are coming down. Inflation is not going away. But if I were to give advice to the Republican Party, and Curtis and I are going to talk about this on Left versus Right at the top of the hour, I would say start thinking kind of about the ideas that you're going to have, not just to say that, oh, well, the world is terrible, turn to us, which is always what you have to do when you want to say fire the guys that are in, but start to talk about what you're going to do. I mean, listen, I I don't mind talking about the Biden laptop. I did a whole episode about it. I don't mind talking about don't say gay or whatever these things are. But remember, the leaders of your party, former President Trump, Ron DeSantis, these guys are trying to win the base primary right now. Don't let them lead this lead the Republican Party into it's not a winning strategy in these midterms. And if you're a Republican and you want to make sure that your guys take control of the House and hopefully the Senate, I think there has to be a calibration. And we see it here in New York. We see that, you know, every time I look up and I and I see Lee Zeldin talking, he's basically saying Hochul's Hochul's no good crime, whatever it is. But give us some affirmative message for what you're going to do if you get in charge. I think that what happens is voters start to wrap their mind around, okay, what will it look like if the Republicans are in charge? Give them some issues to work with. Have some actual ideas. And I think that that's what's going – that's what the Democrats are doing right so far, and that's what the Republicans are doing wrong. And, and you know, look, I've said this before. Midterm elections, the party that's in loses seats, often by a lot. But the two times that didn't happen in recent memory, 2002 was after September 11th. Something very big happened that we all rallied around President Bush's party. And 2000 and 1998, when the Republicans overreached in the impeachment of of um, Bill Clinton. I think it could be that the Dobbs decision was that kind of seismic thing uh, in this year's election. And. If the Republicans are going to get back their footing and get back, and I still think they win the House, I do, but if they're going to get back their footing and get back their mojo after this lousy summer, it can't just be Biden's a bum. It can't just be, let's, you know, don't say gay. It can't just be these kinds of culture issues. It can't be election denial and stuff like that. It has to be an affirmative idea, and maybe it's like a contract with America kind of thing. But that's my advice to the Republican Party. I don't know. I'm not an unbiased um, leader on this, but that's my view. Hey, I really appreciate you being. The board was was full of great calls today. I really want to thank Pete and Rich for helping me out and think about you for think, thank you for being there. And I'll see you on the other side with Left versus Right with Curtis Lee. Thank you so much. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.